Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. I'm also a television writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, uh, DreamWorks, Puss in Boots, and currently FX's new series, Cassius and Clay. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker and let me know who you'd like to see on this show. I'm always looking for new ideas. For guests, and you can always find out about live Nerdist Writers panels, go to writerspanel.tumblr.com. As ever, if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes, and thanks for listening. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. If you would, let's start here with Evan, because they're all here for you. Hi, I'm Evan uh, Blyweiss. Tell us, tell the folks where they may know your name from and what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, uh, I started on The Shield. Um, then I was on The Vampire Diaries for a couple of years. Then I was on Matador on the El Rey Network, which maybe you've heard of that network. Um, then I uh, was on Black Sails uh, in a season that airs next year. Uh, and now I'm on Rosewood Woo! on Fox. <laughs> I saw the poster for that. Mark. Uh, my name is Mark. Um, I've worked on uh, some shows like uh, Law and & Order and Brothers and & Sisters and Flash Forward and Ordinary Family, Eli Stone. Um, right now I'm working on a show called Arrow, um, and uh, that's, that's my stuff. I'm bad. I'm really bad. Can you tell? I'm really bad at... <laughs> You're also a myself. noted uh, comic book writer. Oh, I, and I do say. other stuff, too. I, yeah, I write comics. Got a, my next creator-owned book is out uh, called Stringers. Uh, and you're taking over Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comics. I'm taking over Marvel. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in an incredibly ironic turn of events. <laughs> it's, um, I just actually, just yesterday, I wrapped up the, I guess, the second draft of the first issue. Yeah, awesome. All right. Corinne. I'm Corinne. Hello. <laughs> um, I started staffing on Suburgatory and uh, Surviving Jack, and I also wrote on iCarly before that, and Comedy Central Roast, not really going in order. And most recently, I was uh, on School of Rock, which will be airing on Nickelodeon possibly in November, and I created Casey Undercover for Disney. You did? I did. Oh my god, my daughters are going to be so impressed with me right now. Oh, I can't wait to go home. That was the most shocking reaction. <laughs> really? I was going to ask what it is, but it seems we'll have uh, Mark ask all the Casey questions. Yeah, I, well, this is great. Ooh, tough to follow now. <laughs> uh, my name is Laura. Hi. Um, I, I actually started in stand-up, and from there I went on to do um, like MTV Movie Awards and uh, the... Nashville, a ton of shows in Nashville, uh, award shows, CMT and whatnot. Very awesome stuff. Uh, I did a sci-fi show. It's, uh, it was half animated, half live action called Outer Space Astronauts. And David O. Russell was the executive producer of that. Um, from there, I went on to CBS's Rob, uh, Ben and Kate on Fox, uh, Weird Loners also on Fox. And right now, I'm on the new Eva Longoria show on NBC called Hot and Bothered. So... Super fun, which is a great script. Uh, I was like, a gushing really backstage, show. but the, yeah. the script is great. I haven't seen the pilot yet, but I, you guys should check it out. Um, I want to ask both of you guys, um, Corinne, you also have a performance background. Is that right? Oh, that's a little misleading. I, okay. uh, I've i performed, but... Was that your entree to the business, though? No, actually, oh, really? um, it was kind of the other way around, where one of my first writing jobs was writing sketches for the Andy Milanakis show, 
And I hadn't really thought of myself as a sketch writer. It was just sort of an opportunity that came about, and I went for it and got the job. And so then after that, I thought, oh, I better learn how to do this better. And so even though I was working, but the sketches were like, I have a pancake on my face. And that was the whole sketch. (laughs) So I started um, taking classes at UCB and then um, got on one of their house teams, which are called the mod teams. And then it was sort of trial by fire, where it was like, now you perform. And so I just started uh, filling out the cast of our sketches. And, you know, my favorite thing to do would just be sort of like get one punchline and then get off the stage as fast (laughs) as possible so people could say, oh, you should act more. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I really should. But... (laughs) Uh, I see. Um, Leave him wanting more. Yes, exactly. <laughs> always, always. Let me ask. Tried and true. <laughs> let me ask Laura about uh, your performing background. Did stand up lead to writing? It did. It, it did. Um, I I fell into stand up. I was a waitress at the comedy store, and um, I was actually dared by Bobby Lee to do stand up. I was crying in the kitchen one day about how my life had hit another low, and um, he said, "I'll pick you up in two weeks." You'll do five minutes, and if you don't do it, I'll never talk to you again. (laughs) And I did it. I cried through the first three minutes of a five-minute set. Everyone thought it was a joke. (laughs) And I was like, it's not a joke. Wait, what? It was awful. It was in a basement in Santa Monica um, where you don't think only good things happen, but (laughs) it turns out also stand-up. What, what did you have prepared? I mean, obviously, I wrote sixteen pages for a five-minute set, thinking this this should cover it, Um, and it was like just really, really overwritten. You know, uh, the the entire. You know, if you listen to any good stand-up talk about stand-up comedy, they'll tell you that like kind of a sort of go with the flow attitude is is key, and that is not the energy I brought to the (laughs) to the evening. Um, It was I, I lost like my third word, and from there it was just. Waterworks and and what I can only assume people thought was an Andy Kaufman esque approach to to my my but new you career. Were hooked. I was not actually. I left. I went outside. I had a cigarette. I hung out with the other comics and complained about stand up like I'd been doing it for twenty years. Like God, the audience tonight. You know, like you would have thought. I liked the lifestyle right away, but uh, sure. but I, I didn't do it again for like a month. And then every time it was so hard for me to get up on stage, but I loved writing it. I loved writing it and. That's kind of how I figured out I was more of a writer than a performer. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, helping other people write and, you know, taking as much advice on the performing as I could possibly get, it's, like, landed. So is that, how, how, is that how the TV stuff started happening? Uh, I mean, I know, I know as, as a comic, you tend to do some of these award shows like you guys have both done. Yeah. yeah. Adding jokes to Because it's joke those. heavy, yeah. 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 Uh, so did it all kind of come out of that? Um, it, it did. From there, yes, I, I got a manager, which I think is probably one of the the main amazing things that can happen to you in this business is just getting some sort of representation to submit you for Mm -hmm. things and get you an agent so that you can be submitted for things legally. Um, And yeah, so, you know, I got to meet people through the award shows and get, I got a manager who in turn had a conversation with me asking, you know, what do you want to do? And I wanted to write television. And so the next step was writing a spec. Mm-hmm. Well, good. We'll pick up there in a minute. Um, Evan, let's start with you. Do you remember how you first got representation? I really don't. <laughs> so I'm like the worst person to, to ask this There's question. There's someone here representing you. Um, you know that, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. But uh, I, yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I used to write with a partner. Okay. Um, and we had 
written a bunch of stuff and had a bunch of samples and someone that we knew knew a manager and he read something of ours and thought it was good and then he managed us and it was nothing happened he was our manager but i mean nothing happened and then well, what, we had what? another manager that managed to do nothing <laughs> And then, well, wait a minute. So. Let's talk about this for a minute because I think this happens quite a bit. Yeah, is especially for young writers, you'll sign with someone because you're excited to have, be represented. Oh, absolutely. Uh, having gone through that with these managers who really weren't helping, uh, what could you have asked? What could you have known up front that could have prevented that? I think there's just this idea that you work for the manager, kind of, when you're first starting out. Like, oh, if they don't... If I say this, are they going to be offended? Or are they going to be upset? And it's like, who gives a shit? Like, are they doing for you what you need them to do? And that's something I wish I would have been able to know back then. Because you're just always so afraid. Of like, oh, if I do this and then they drop me, and then what? Then I have no one. But you have no one right now. Like, they're doing nothing. So, it does, you know, so that to me is, I think, the biggest thing, is make sure that, you know... Make sure you know what you want out of it and make sure they understand that and they're helping you achieve that goal because otherwise it's just, you know, you're sitting there afraid to dial the phone. Absolutely. No, that's great advice. And was there, at what point did you stop working with a partner and how much was that like starting over? Uh, I stopped writing with a partner right when I got my first job in the business, which was I was a post PA um, on the shield. That's how I started. Um, And so when I got that job, it just became my hours were so terrible that we just, it was impossible for us to work together. And so we had a, you know, it was not contentious at all. We realized we're kind of going in different directions. And so then I started writing my own stuff. And there was a little bit of a little bit of nerves because you're so used to have, I mean, you, you know this running with a partner. Like there's, you have someone to always bounce stuff off of, and then suddenly you're there alone in front of the computer going, well, I think this is good, but what if it sucks? And you just, you don't know, and you have no one to say, is this good? So that was a little tough, kind of getting over those initial nerves. But on the business side, it wasn't that different because you were no, sort of making still, your entry. Exactly. As, as so it was, person. you know, as I started moving up, I was already right. alone, so it worked out. That makes sense. So, so you yeah. actually had to do the emotional uh, <laughs> growing up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mark, the same question. How did you first get represented? Sort of random. Um, my, I'm the oldest of three brothers, and uh, me and my brother Eric, who's the middle brother, we uh, started writing together. Uh, Eric actually was at NYU Film and wanted to become a director, and he thought it would be a good idea for him to start writing scripts, just not really to become a writer, but really to, you know, understand the medium better, and he asked me to write a script with him, and um, I still don't know why he did, but uh, I, because I had really done no creative writing. Well, but that was my question. What were yeah. you doing at the time? Uh, I was in was my, this in your head this, as something you could do? You know, I was in my third year of law school, and uh, you know, <laughs> in your third year of law school, by that point, like already had my job. Like I knew, I knew, like I'd spend the summer, you know, studying for the bar, and then I knew I'd, you know, go to work at this particular firm. So I kind of had time on my hands, um, and. I didn't know that I could do it. I knew that I loved... T- the first thing we were going to do was write a p- spec picket fences. 
uh, which was this David Kelly show way back when. And I like, so I knew I could do the law. It comes up more often than you'd think. Oh, I love picket fences. Um, And, uh, you know, I knew I could do the law stuff. And I always enjoyed putting words together. Like, expository writing was my thing. And I enjoyed writing papers and and whatnot. So I I don't know. I I thought I could maybe do it. I I really was an ignorant idiot. uh, no, no good reason to think that I could do it. Anyway, we, we wrote a couple of picket fences. We wrote a law and order. We wrote like a spec feature, and um, you know, by that point, uh, Eric had graduated. I had graduated. Um, he was looking for a job, and he basically sent out a bunch of cold letters uh, to a bunch of different companies looking for a job in the office, not looking for representation. Because again, the plan was for neither of us to become writers. I was going <laughs> to go off and become an attorney, and he was going to go off and become a director, and that. Neither of which happened. Um, so, well, I became an attorney, but um, it didn't stick. So, anyway, long story short, which is already too late. Um, I apologize. Uh, one Listen, of the, we're all here for you. Thank you. Thank you. You've got well, ninety minutes. Uh, one of the one of the people uh, he wrote to, um, he had mentioned in his cover letter how he had just finished writing this script uh, with his brother and. The person wrote back, hey, you know, uh, we don't have any job openings, but I'd love to read your script. And he sent it, and she's like, you know what? We'll we'll sign you. Um, It was very random. This was also like, this was like, 20 years ago, so yeah. the world was a different place. Uh, the land, the industry was different. So, um, and I'm old. Um, so, you, actually, I think it's probably worth talking about how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How close to death you are? <laughs> um, no, uh, how the industry was different. Even, I mean, even honestly, 10, 15 years ago. Well, I, th- I mean, uh, I mean, you said we had 90 minutes. We've burned through how many? I mean, I don't think but we have that kind of time. But as far as this goes, as far as this goes, I think honestly, in. breaking in, just less competition. Yeah. I mean, less competition, straight up. Um, it was, it was just easier. Um, so you know, we had a, you know, we had a manager kind of like that. Um, and you know, sort of further to what Evan was saying, like you know. I, I'm a big believer that you have to manage your management, whether it's your agent or your manager. And yes, there's the total writer's neurosis of I work for them and I've got to be really nice to them. And they're like, hey, I can't like, you know, if they're not returning my calls, I can't nag them. It's like, no, no, no. I, I try to be like, I, I try not to take the attitude that they work for you, but I try to take the attitude that it's a partnership and you guys work together. And if they're not holding up their end of the bargain, then there's something wrong. It's not a, you know, it's not a bilateral relationship. Um, but you do have to manage your management, and I also think it's fine. My my manager or my former manager is no longer my manager is no longer in the business. Um, uh, she she always said something that was really stuck with me, which is managers and agents care ten percent, and it's really really true. And and I don't mean that as like this negative terrible thing. It's I, I mean it as. It's your it's your career. It's it's your script. It's your profession. It's your passion, and you, you have to be proactive. And you know, there's a certain passivity I think that a lot of writers engage in because look, we're, we're artists. We're not business people. Um, and I'm not saying you know go to business school and you know approach your career the way you would you know if it was a Silicon Valley startup, but. You do have to take some ownership for your job and take some ownership for your position, particularly getting that first gig. You know, I mean, most people, honestly, most people get their first gig on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was this your experience? Oh, completely. I mean, I had a bunch of false starts with 
agents or managers that were at smaller firms, which is harder when you're staffing for television, um, at least in comedy. I don't know if it's yeah. easier in, in dramas. but no, it's, it's very true. Yeah. And um, then finally I was hip-pocketed at Endeavor, and that was like this big coup off of a family guy spec. And then just I never heard from that person. And it, it was like it didn't happen. And um, I basically got all my first jobs on my own. Um, and my most recent job at School of Rock came from when I was a showrunner's assistant. My first job out here was on Grounded for Life. And I worked with these writers who I became friends with, the Armageda brothers. They're great. And then they created School of Rock. And we've been trying to work together for like 10 years. So it just all lined up that we were all, that I was available. And it, it happened. But I mean, my first job with Andy Milanakis was actually through a friend of mine that Laura is friends with as well, who also brought us onto the MTV Movie Awards. Um, my family guy spec, I showed it to a writer I was babysitting for, and he hired me to write on Little Bush, which was my first... Um, I was more of a, of a freelance joke writer for it, but it was my first experience as a writer in the room. And that was from babysitting. Everything to, to what you said about you have to, you know, think about it as, as a career that's your career. Like, I mean, I'm, I still consider myself hustling for jobs, even though I've been working fairly consistently for the last several years. It's, it's never something where I just leave it all in the hands of agents or managers because, it's it's my life. Like, why why would I be so passive about it? Yeah, no, and I, I think that's... <laughs> Why'd you look at me after you said that? I have no idea. <laughs> Do you have any career advice you want to give to Laura? Um, I'm listening. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. Laura and I have had, like, a lot of similar early early days jobs for the variety shows. and We did. I, I feel like we... Back in vaudeville times. Yes. <laughs> simpler time. Back in the aughts. But, uh, yeah, we're, I think we're happy to be writing on sitcoms now and not writing award show patter for celebrities oh, who don't patter. want to be there. Patter is such a great word. <laughs> How, I have, I've only had an experience a couple of times on doing award show stuff. It's sort of terrible. It's really bad. What, no, no one do you wants to tell. But it's also specifically, it's, it's terrible, but it's, it's such a specific experience. It, yeah. it really, do you want to talk about it to these folks a little bit? Please feel free to jump in. Oh my I'm sure we have comparable experience. <laughs> it's one of the only. So, patter is you know when you go when you see the movie awards or the you know VMAs or anything, and you have to see Drake have a conversation with Rebecca Romaine Stamos right. for two seconds about yeah. you know the new Battlestar Galactica movie or whatever you know like and someone has to write that stare. yeah and they have and and then they have to present the award for you know sexiest ass or whatever mm-hmm. like it's unbelievable how many things you have to get into to this like five line exchange and for me like the, my favorite part about it and the funniest thing was the you write something you, you get you get two celebrities you write an exchange between them and then it's not just your the producers it's not your immediate boss they have to okay it but then it goes to the publicist the publicist <laughs> Um, of the two celebrities, and then they have to okay it. And then if it gets by them, and they don't ever understand anything, if it gets by them, it goes to the manager, then the agent, then eventually the celebrity, and eventually you get 
like a note with you know this thing you've been waiting two weeks to hear if it's mm-hmm. going to be okay with the only note Kid Rock needs this to be less gay and right. you're like oh awesome this that is would be helpful. a great note though I got that note <laughs> I... that's not a joke that's a note I got I got the note Mark Wahlberg won't try to do comedy don't make him that was at least he knows <laughs> pre Ted yeah, yeah. Um, and this is all for the part of the show that most people are like ignoring to oh. eat or go to the bathroom or fast forward <laughs> or make fun of yeah or tweets like, oh that's terrible and I had I forget her name but I had, I had one actress it was when the movie The House Bunny came out one of the actresses in it like rolled her eyes during saying my joke and it wasn't a great joke but I had to go yes through. it was it was. It was great. I had to go through so many steps, like what Laura was saying, to just get that little sliver of writing up on screen, and then she just took a big shit all over it. <laughs> and I was like, great, that, that was that moment. <laughs> While we're on the subject, let's talk about working with actors. This occasionally comes up on these. Um, Evan, on the show that you are on now, mm-hmm. do actors go to set? Writers, writers go to yes, set? we do. Do the actors show up at set <laughs> sometimes? Um, I've actually been very fortunate. Almost every episode of television yeah. I've ever written, I've been able to produce yeah. um, on set, which has been awesome. Um, no, I think the thing with working with actors for me is you have to realize, at least in my experience, that it is a, a partnership, and it's not we're not there to tell them you fucked up and say it this way or whatever, and. I always try to make it a point to when they're when we're done getting their coverage. I'm always there to say that was great and you know a specific thing that I really like because I want them to know that a I'm paying attention, but b when I'm saying something to you, it's not working. It's not I, you know I want it to work and I'm, I care that you're looking good and you know that's to me it's really important that you kind of because I think sometimes. We forget how I think it is hard for actors to show up and do what they do, and I could never do it. And I think that, you know, when you need to let them know, like, you're on their, mm-hmm. you're, you know, on their side. Best, and it's a collaboration. Exactly. And I want it to be good. And don't be defensive, because I feel like the, their default a lot is to be defensive when something isn't working for them. And it's, you know... I will talk about anything you want in a scene if it's not working, but when you tell me this is stupid, I want to, like, ram your head into the wall. <laughs> so that's my biggest thing is, like, I will sit and talk you through whatever is not working, but you have to show me the same respect that I'm showing you by listening to your issue because, trust me, we have thought about the scene more than you have the actor when you've maybe looked at it Five minutes ago for the first time and I've been on shows like that before where someone comes up and says I don't get this well if you read it more than once you probably would you read the scene before it you exactly <laughs> so that's that's the thing to me like if I can tell an actor cares about mm-hmm. this scene and they're approaching this question from a place of this why it's not working for them and we can actually have a dialogue about it I love that and I love being involved in that it's when they they show up and say, this is dumb, or this doesn't make any sense. And well, like, usually it does. I, w- I want to dig a little deeper on that for a second, because, you know, as writer-producers, you're on set to help them do their job. Uh, so how do you get them to that conversation if they're not immediately coming to it, if they are coming and saying, I don't get it, or this is stupid? I mean, it, I, I try to talk about what, I don't let them just get away with, I don't like this line. It's sort of, why? 
and talk me through your issue? Because sometimes even just them talking it out themselves, they work out the issue. I don't know if you guys find that. All the time. Yeah. And then suddenly if they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's cool. Or they'll want to change one word that doesn't matter, but now it looks like they didn't just waste 20 minutes of both of our days. So it's uh, that's a lot. Can I say the here? You got it, buddy. (laughs) You're an artist. Yeah. Nailed Um, it. Mark, I want to talk sort of along the same lines about uh, characters' voices on the show. And, you know, you have created and co-created shows where you didn't know who was playing the characters and you've come onto shows where you did know who was playing the characters and uh, I'm just curious about like finding those actors and using their voices or molding them to the voices that you guys have created in the room beforehand. You know, it's it's really it's tricky and it totally depends upon, you know, it it does depend upon are you coming to this cold in the in the sense of you are writing for a part that hasn't been cast yet. Um, or are you writing for? Do you know who you're writing for? Um, you know, it's, I was working today on a, a script for a, a show that we're launching in January called Legends of Tomorrow, and um, Victor Garber's in it. And I, I've written Victor A has an incredibly specific voice, um, but also I've written for Victor uh, on Eli Stone before, so I just feel like I, I really, really know his voice. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's so easy writing for Victor. Um, and but the, the the truth of the matter is is that when you you know, the way I approach it is I try not to be writing for a particular actor. I try to be writing for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you, you know, go through your process, you know, is writing a pilot different from writing, you know, the 60th episode of a show? Um, as you go through the process and you get used to your cast, the character and the actor, they become sort of, at least in my head, they become synonymous. Um, and you're not thinking about writing for the actor. It becomes it becomes like muscle memory. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, then there's a lot of times where you know actors will say like you know like Paul Blackthorne on Arrow. Um, every script he'll send me just this email um, with specific lines of dialogue and pitches for changes. And it's just what's comfortable in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And it works for him. It's a great process for him. It's, it, his changes are always totally fine. Um, I think maybe like in three years of working together, there's like one time I said, actually, no, I, I really think it's important that the line be delivered this way, and I'll tell you why. Um, but the thing that I've discovered is every actor has their own process. And, yeah, sometimes it's like they, they need to talk it through with somebody, um, and, you know, 20 minutes later they totally get it. Other times it's... You know, I always try to figure out what's the note behind the note. Um, what's the fundamentally? There's there's a reason if they're having trouble with a moment or a line of dialogue. There's a reason for it, and you've got to do some detective work and some digging sometimes. Uh, you know, because these these are actors. They're not. Their job is not to give notes. They don't. You know, they're not necessarily facile in it. They shouldn't. Right. They shouldn't be expected to be facile in it. So the question is, okay. How do I get underneath what you're saying and find out what you're really saying? And then, then I can address that problem. Yeah, I, I think the lesson from both of you is how do I make this a conversation rather than a confrontation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and sometimes there are some actors that their style is incredibly confrontational. I mean, and, you know, uh, there was... <laughs> it's it's uh, cough drops for our, our Oh, I was <laughs> like, is that a confrontational actor you're Oh, no, <laughs> sorry. Um, there was one time on a show that I, I will keep nameless. 
I really desperately wanted to tell the actor, okay, I will do your notes if you can answer one question for me. What's my name? <laughs> and I didn't have the, the guts to do it. Um, but, uh, you know, missed opportunity. Uh, I want to ask, sort of along the same lines to both of you guys, Karen and Laura, um, comedy can be sort of a, a different animal uh, in that notes affecting specific lines can affect jokes. Yes, And absolutely. jokes are subjective in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what kind of note, or how do you deal with notes, whether it's from actors or studio or network or whatever, uh, on comedy scripts? And, you know, try to, try to keep the comedy you want alive. I mean, for those different entities, it's all a different answer. We got time. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think with... Uh, with notes from the network and studios, it's it's more defending the choice, defending the lines. With um, with actors, it's more making it something that they understand so that they can perform it. Um, I've been very lucky in that I've worked with extremely talented comedic actors um, like Rachel Harris and Chris Maloney on Surviving Jack, who, I mean, you just felt so confident. You could give them almost anything and they'd make it funny. Um, and when they did have ideas, they were they were good. So it was like, oh, if he's saying that this sounds really weird, maybe it does. And um, but uh, I don't know. what was the rest of the question? I'm sorry. No, that was that was it. Okay. Uh, have you? What about your experiences, Laura? With uh, I notes? no, I agree with everything Corinne just said. Um, yes, with studio and with network. I mean, it's like it's like writers. You know, there's going to be good thoughts and bad thoughts and there are good executives and bad executives and again like writers but I, I think one, someone once told me listen to the problem and not the solution that's being offered which I thought was an interesting yeah. it's always kind of the first thing that pops into my mind um, because frequently if, if, if it's a joke they're not getting you figure out early on to when you're giving outlines and when you're giving you know synopses you try not to burn material. Like, you try not to give them stuff to reject before they can actually see it in its element. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it varies, you know, there's multi camera and single camera, which I'm sure is not <laughs> new knowledge to people. But, like, I, I, I've done both, and it, they're two very different experiences because in multi camera, it's much like stand up where you, where you get the you get to see something, you know, live and die or live and fly uh, in front of you as it's happening. It doesn't necessarily mean when you see it cut together on TV in prime time, it's going to have that same energy that it had in front of a live audience. But um, it, it's a little trickier with single camera because jokes, you know, you just kind of have to go with your gut on a lot of it. And for that reason, a conversation with the actor and sort of everyone feeling good about the, from the writer to the director to you know the crew to the chuckles to you know just you can just kind of feel when it's working and it's it's just one of those things where you have to feel confident and hope for the best and and have a very clear idea of like what kind of humor you're trying to get across in that in that moment there's also a weird thing where sometimes a table read can go amazingly well and everyone is hysterically laughing and then the episode just doesn't work and isn't funny. And it's like this weird disconnect where things just won't translate. So, I mean, a lot, especially in single cam, like editing is so important 
for saving the jokes and saving the comedy. But that's an interesting phenomenon. I've seen that a few times where the table read kills yeah. and then... Is it just getting it on its feet that, like, all of a sudden it doesn't... Trans- it can go the other way, too. True. You know, actually, so there's really... Yeah. It would be nice if there was, you know, like a... <laughs> there, yeah. No one's Beginner's luck or, like, a, some yeah. saying that would... It could go either way. It's, it, it's not easy to predict. And, and definitely a bad table read feels horrible. You didn't get laughs. Everyone, you know, we're in the offices all night long rewriting the script. And then it's like the episode was fine and all those jokes were completely lateral and it right. it just people were having an off day i mean also sometimes these table reads happen on like actors lunch breaks so they're like eating sandwiches while they're delivering jokes it's like not really a fair forum <laughs> for your your poetry yeah. but it, it's it <laughs> which is what all it's comedy yeah, or poetry right. That's what we're doing it is, is creating poetry for the masses <laughs> yes um, it, it does sort of get back to something that you touched on Evan about like you just have to trust that you're doing the thing you want to see right you're you're making the right choices uh, yeah and hopefully you've lived with it long enough and thought about it long enough that you want the thing you want is the right thing. And if it's not and someone poses a question that then turns it into the right thing, great, everybody wins. Because ultimately that's what we're trying to do is make something that doesn't suck. So, I, I think that there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of right things. You know, what we're doing is not math and it's not science. And there's really no, I don't personally feel there's any right or wrong answer. You know, the, the truth of the matter is that you can really drive yourself crazy going, oh my God, this line, this, this mm-hmm. moment, this twist is this the right one is you'll be paralyzed um and truth be told if you've watched enough television you've watched enough movies you see that you know what there's there's a million different ways to tell any of these stories i'm just like you know go with your gut and make a decision and go forward because that's really the only thing you can do at the end of the day let me ask you guys this i I told you i want to talk about pitching um and i do and i want to get to that next uh but before i do that uh, i want to start over here with lauren just come down the line do you like writing I love it. You do. <laughs> there was a there was a dramatic pause before that, but yes, no, no you have to I, think I do. About it. I, I I go through my moments where I I you know wonder if I'm terrible at it, mm-hmm. but I do love it. It's an extremely you know not just getting to the end of a script, but even getting to the end of a scene or getting to the end of a you know couplet. That's great. Is if you like it, even for an hour, <laughs> it feels great. And I'm all about feeling great. <laughs> Starting today. Uh, that's very healthy of you. No, but it's, it's, a, it's a great job. It's a, to, to get to call it a job is yeah. lucky. It's kind of ridiculous. It's it feels ridiculous sometimes, like especially when you're in a room and you've just been laughing all day long. And it's like, I get paid well to do this. Like, it's, it's insane. And yes, I like writing. <laughs> so the process itself is enjoyable. Like, the room is one thing, yeah. and that's absolutely part of it, and that absolutely is really fun uh, if you are a room person. But when you are sent off on script... I love that, too. I mean, great. for me, the room was actually a surprise. Like, when I first wanted to, to be a writer and decided to be a television writer, I didn't really understand what the writer's room was. I thought you would go in for like an hour, talk about the game plan, and then everyone would just go off and write. And so I was an assistant on Grounded for Life, and I learned that, no, especially in comedy, you're in the room all day long, 
you know, breaking stories, coming out with jokes, riffing on things. And by the way, you have to be kind of charming because if you're a huge dud, no one wants to work with you. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards writing because they're somewhat solitary. So that was... Let them go write movies. Yeah. Those weirdos. So those are the feature people. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that was news to me because I was kind of an introverted person and there's like a bat that's about to fly it around. It might be a Batman. <laughs> uh, um, no, no offense. No offense, Mark. Rooms are fun because you also get to learn other people's like, processes. You know, like, oh, I thought you were going to say dark secrets. And their dark secrets. <laughs> that is an interesting... It is a, it's kind of a support group. And, and yeah. Like, uh, there's it, a it does. Yeah, it becomes like group therapy too. But like I learned, you know, the Dan Harmon story circle from people yes. who had been on community and then, you know, that's its own insane like it, it, for, for someone especially when you're newer to writing it, 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 it can provide you with certain just very important sort of like things to look for and, and, and you can read Save the Cat all you know as much as you want but the truth of the matter is until you're actually like in, in the room or having to break a specific story that's you know not one of the ten movies you're very familiar with the plot and every yeah. plot point um, it, it's it's fascinating, and then if you can feel comfortable enough in that and hear other people's sort of approaches and their variations of yeah. of how to how to tackle stories and you know like you always hear about not doing like there and back stories and then this Mad Max movie comes out, which is literally a there and back <laughs> and it's it, it's always interesting to me the you know when the minute you hear about a rule, yeah. <laughs> It gets broken by somebody, right? And beautifully, yeah. Oh, you guys are real process nerds. Um, <laughs> Mark, do you enjoy writing? I do. I love it. I, I, you know, it's it's the irony of of the television side of my life that the the more success you have in television uh, and the more experience you have, the less time you get to write. Um, I love writing. It's it's. Uh, I, I like spending time with this guy who's so much smarter than I am. Um, like, I don't know, there's a guy who sits at the keyboard and, and he comes up with stuff that I, honest to God, never thought. I, it's your I, Sasha I know Fierce. I couldn't do it. What? It's your Sasha Fierce. What? That's a Beyonce thing, sorry. Oh, so, oh wow, yeah. Boom, way over my head. Sorry about to, that. I was trying to cool up the panel, sorry. Yeah. Which part of the process do you enjoy the most? Is it the actual sitting and typing? It is the actual that's sitting and typing. Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That is my favorite part. Uh, I like that too, though. Yeah, I think that, that's you. being a writer. That's yeah. a lot of what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I love being in the room. I even love producing. Um, I wish I could say I love taking notes, but... That would be a total lie. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I actually enjoy, you know, I enjoy sort of all the elements of the job. But at the end of the day, I, I find when I'm happiest, it's when I'm sitting and doing typing. You know. Uh, let me just follow up with this, and as you guys just both uh, all mentioned that you like the typing part, we'll get to you. Out. <laughs> Whatever. Um, we nodded our heads. How do you feel about all, all of you? How do you feel about revision? I like revision. I mean, it it depends why I'm revising. If if the notes are bad and I have to revise towards notes I don't agree with, then I'm I'm less inclined to like revision. But I mean, I, I do think it's very rare that a first draft of anything I've written rare. I mean, it doesn't happen where I'm like that. That is it. I've done it. <laughs> I love revision, I think, because you're working off of something. <laughs> you <That> know, <laughs> uh, My first job on, on Rob, I got to work with Fief Sutton, who wrote a number of episodes of Cheers. and was Fief just, was our very first guest on this Was panel. he really? Uh, He's in 2011. A delight and incredibly helpful and loves telling stories. I mean, everything I just... 
it's so amazing. Like, right, like if you're an actor and you get to meet like Meryl Streep, you don't imagine her like being willing to take phone calls from you, like whenever <laughs> if you just wanted to talk about you know out of Africa. But Fief is totally like that. Um, Fief is so glad he was compared to uh, <laughs> Meryl Streep. <laughs> is this like payback for the Sasha Fierce com- comment? I still didn't even understand that comment. <laughs> um, but but Fief always said to me, he he said, you know, if you if you like. If you have to love doing this because we're the only people that start with nothing. Everyone else, you know, costume designers get to have a conversation with the showrunners who have ideas and sketches and, you know, directors get a script and actors get a script and we're the only people that sit down with nothing and you stare at a blank thing and you have to make something happen. And that scared the hell out of me. And I think that's why I like revising <laughs> because you, you're not starting with nothing. That's funny. Uh, all right, Evan. How do you feel right now? I feel great right now. Um, do, you, do you like the writing process? I do. Um, it's funny coming off of that because I actually love the blank page much more than I like going in and rewriting. I like to do that as well, but there's something kind of exciting about the, the blank page and coming up with these ideas and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And... Um, you know, being on a TV show, I love the writer's room like everyone's talked about. It's my favorite place to be, um, you know, especially when there's no assholes in it. Uh, then it's really great. Um, and, you know, then you're just it's just a bunch of smart people talking about not only the story, but everything, just the way that, you know, movies we saw, things we like. And you just have all the you know, it's just and out of these things come story and just being creative all day is so cool and being able to write. I have no other skills but this. Zero. I could do nothing. nothing. If it was not this, I, I, very Sorry. frightened what I would... I was a decent waiter. That I guess I could do. I did that for four years. So I could, I could get food to the table that was still hot. Your drink was half... Right back. But that's, that's pretty much, that was pretty much it. So, um, It's interesting, you know, a couple of you guys brought up, and, and Laura, you were talking about this a minute ago, the, the room absolutely is important. Uh, and, you know, as television writers, you're rarely starting from nothing uh, when it's your turn to write a script. You know, the room may start from nothing. Right. Uh, but you're walking away with some sort of foundation. Um, but it's also interesting to hear you say, uh, you know, having worked with all of these different people, what you're learning from them and what you're taking from them. And you guys have all been in some really great rooms. Uh, what have you taken from the people that you've worked with that you continue to use to this day? Well, I, I mean, when I, again, I started on The Shield, and so I was the writer's assistant on that show. That was a killer room. Uh, and, yeah, so... I had Kurt Sutter to my right, and Craft uh, and Fane, and Scott Rosenbaum, and Glenn Mazzara, and Adam Fierro, and Sean Ryan. And so that was really where I learned how to do this. And I feel like every script that would come in, I would read them, and I would find another thing in it that was cool that I wanted to kind of take for my own writing. Just the way they would present things, because you would see it on screen, and you'd look back and go, oh, that's how they conveyed that on the page. And I still feel like every... Every script is better than the one before it, and I'm constantly picking up things from writers all the time and putting it into what I'm doing. And it's like, 
you def- that's the great thing about writing because there is no right or wrong way to do it and it's a constantly evolving thing that any script you come in contact with there's going to be something in it that is different from the way you do it that you can take and throw into your own arsenal and use yeah. later so yeah that's that's incredibly true i mean i i, I always say you know, to beginning writers, but even continuing writers, like, always read, because even the bad scripts give you good ideas, even if it's negative, even if it's, hey, don't do this. Um, you know, it's, I was in the, my second year in the business, and I, I learned something that really has stuck with me. Um, this writer I was working with on Law & Order named Bill Fords, he, he had taken my, you know, the scene I had written, and he just, like, crossed out a line here, a line there, a line there, and I realized, oh, he... He basically just added subtext to the script by just taking stuff out, and it was this incredible eye-opening. It seems axiomatic, but it's it's all about what's not said. And uh, yeah, that's something I, you know, that's That's a a lesson I've always uh, taken with me. That's great. And then, of course, I get you know network notes that ask me to put all that (laughs) subtext back in, but cut it by five pages. And cut it by five pages. Oh yeah. Gosh, I'm trying to think about individuals and, and what they've taught. But What about uh, showrunners you've worked for? Showrunners I've worked for, um, I mean, the most important thing was that they had a clear vision mm-hmm. of what the show was supposed to be. Because when you're going on to execute someone else's idea, you, you hope that they, they have some idea where it's going. Um, but it was also like on, on, the, on Surviving Jack, we broke stories by putting together, um, or we, we broke the season by putting together stories from our high school lives, which I had never done before. Like on Suburgatory, it was like day one, okay, here's the characters, let's break stories to the characters. And at Surviving Jack, it was like, let's hold up for a minute and talk about what our high school experiences were like, because the show was about you know, reflecting back on that time. And that was a really um, different way of going for me, but I, I thought we came up with some really great stories mm-hmm. from it. Um, I mean, the thing that shocked me most of all when I first was in a writer's room was just how funny and smart everyone was and how they articulated all these things that I had never really uh, thought. Like, I would just watch something and think, oh, that's funny, or, you know, that's a good story, and not really probe why I thought it was funny or why it was a good story. And just watching writers put together, um, you know, what a character's drive is supposed to be and how you're supposed to have the drive throughout this, this, this script and, you know, just really the basic fundamentals of writing I was taught in every single room. And I, I, I feel like with each room, I learn more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> Ditto. Um, I actually had an interesting experience uh, about a year and a half ago. I got to do, like, one day on... Um, the Transformers, what was it, five, four, this last one, um, they needed a female punch-up voice for the female character. That's always fun, by the way, when you're the female that they bring <laughs> oh, in to punch-up. I was just glad we, we they identified me as a female. <laughs> um, were, you, were you there with a group of other punch-up We met, and, uh, yeah, we, we met, um, we all met up, and we just sort of went over I, I'm actually not even sure if I'm allowed to be talking about this I just signed a bunch of documents that I didn't read um, but um, it was a lot it was a ton of amazingly talented action writers mm-hmm. um, and it was at a hotel so it was sexy 
And, um, and we went, it was about six hours long, and the first half of it was all story. And just getting to watch these, like, monoliths go at the, uh, you know, the Transformers, which I grew up with, you know, which are basically ca- cars that turn into machine guns and... That's sort of what I think of them as. And these guys are attacking it with the sort of talking about canon and, you know, gods and, you know, how, like, you know, the, it was amazing watching them put this. But, but it really made, it made a lot of things better. And watching them discuss it amongst each other with the shorthand of people that are just so familiar with everything from a hero's journey to save the cat which I keep bringing up, can't stop, and <laughs> love that book. Um, um, and, and then the amazing thing was, was I, I was silent for that entire first three hours because God knows I had nothing to say to them. Um, but then when it came time for jokes, I got a few out and made a ton of friends, really impressive, powerful friends, because they don't know anything about jokes. So that's great. But... Um, but um, I got to go into my writer's room, you know, the next day and sort of try and bring some of these new, like, hero's journey, like, thoughts and, like, snippets that I had just barely understood into, you know, Becky Newton's character on Weird Loners. And weirdly, it was kind of doable. A little, like, it's, it's very interesting if you take, you know, different genres and, you know, just... I guess per what you were saying, reading is, a, is, is always important. Not, not just scripts, but, you know, article. Like, it's amazing, like, w- what you can sort of, m- you know, meld into a traditional sitcom formula and, 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 and make it different. Like, it's, I'm, I'm always surprised, and, and I guess that's what keeps it all exciting. Yeah. Well, Dan Harbin's story circle is, it's, like, from the hero's journey. Right? It, it is, yeah. yes. And, yes, I, and I read the whole book because I thought I had to. Because my bosses yeah. were on community, and I was like, I want them to like me, and I just did not understand. It's like that, <laughs> that big. It's like written in crazy English. But um, yes. You should Wikipedia that stuff. I, I just wanted them to like me, Corinne. I just, <laughs> just wanted to impress. But this is sort of, I mean, it, it makes sense that, that it would all translate. Right from Transformers to Weird Loners, that like this is I all. Guess, this, yeah. they, we don't think <laughs> I mean, about, I mean, we don't think about anything, it? but this is the stuff that we're trying to cram into these stories: is structure and emotion and character and journey and comedy and like all of these big ideas yes. that we have to kind of yes. take apart. But we don't we we don't really take apart in a room because we're feeding the engine of the show, you know. But that if you can pause. And start to take it apart. I'm I'm not surprised that something can be gained from it. The moments, I think, yeah, is a thing that matters a lot. And whether it's drama or comedy, um, I think that's kind of. There's a showrunner documentary on Netflix right now. I don't know if you guys are oh, really? giant nerds, also, <laughs> but um, and uh, and I'm not sure who says it, unfortunately, but um, someone says, you know, that in the room they are encouraged to go after the moments and not like the moves. Because the moments is what really stays with the audience. And I, I do agree with that. Like, in retrospect, thinking back on my favorite episodes of Frasier or Cheers or Friends or Everyone Loves Raymond or anything, I remember the moments more than, more than the moves. And, and I think that's true of, of drama as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great piece of advice. I'd forgotten that. 
Um, I do want to hear about pitching, and I want to hear from you first, Mark. Did you have to pitch Legends of Tomorrow? No. Okay. No. Um, the network was like, here's a little bit of money. Go it, make it, your little superhero well, show. Yeah, I mean, Legends of Tomorrow was, you know, it's, a, it's somewhat of a unique circumstance because it's, you know, it's a spinoff off of two shows, and we're taking characters that have already ex- existed and everything. Um, so. Which is why I asked, because it seemed very hard to pitch. You know, it's funny. We actually did go in after, you know, after it had already been picked up to basically not pitch, but really sort of tell what the plan was for the series. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be easier to do than, than I think we expected. Um, but the show's completely nuts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know if any pitch can fully, uh, fully encapsulate just how completely bonkers it is. Um, <laughs> That's good to hear. But, uh, uh, well, then tell us about some of your pitching experience. Well, you know, it's fine. I used to... I don't know if I would say I really love pitching. I always feel like hiring a writer off of a pitch is like picking your oncologist based upon how well he does your taxes because the the, the connection between how well someone is in a room uh, pitching is – I don't think there's a lot of overlap or a lot of predictive value in in that exercise for how well they're actually going to write. But this is the business we're in. So. Um, and for the longest time, I would really sort of rail against it and everything. And I, I don't know, like a few years ago, I sort of had, for me, what was a quote-unquote breakthrough, um, which was I realized, okay, I, I like going on meetings. I like going on meetings, and I'll do the general and the Evian tour and, you know, the couch tour, whatever you want to call it, and I'll, I'll sit down and I'll be relaxed. And, and, you know, when I go to pitch, I'm really tense. And one thing, it was a really simple thing that I noticed when I – would do a general, I'd, I'd lay back. I'd sort of sit back in the chair with my legs crossed. And when I would pitch, I'd be sitting hunched forward. And I tried, you know what, I'm just going to I'm gonna sit back, I'm going to cross my legs, and on the top of every, I write out my pitches and sort of perform them, you know, you know not really half memorized. And, but on the top of every script page, I would write slow. And if I did that and I just made it like a conversation, I found, A, the pitch was so much more successful, but also I enjoyed – I started enjoying the process more and I started enjoying pitching. Um, again, it's not the very first thing I would love to do, but now I don't dread it the way I used to. And I, I feel like I can go in and pitch something and, and kind of be okay. Do you think that advice – this is kind of a question for all of you, but do you think that advice could apply to pitching in the room as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in the room, you know, I don't know, hopefully in the room there's not nearly as much pressure. Hopefully it's a safe room and the showrunners created an environment where you can just throw out ideas. I've thrown out, like, you know, crazy nutso ideas. Like, and you just, I don't know, I, I, you know, I tried to be, as a staff writer, I tried to be the kind of person who just, like, you don't like that idea? Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. And those are the types of writers I try to hire now that I'm a showrunner um, because it should be a safe environment and a safe place. And, you know, there really is no such thing as a bad idea. Because, you know, it's cliche, but it's, like most cliches, true. Um, you know, the bad ideas lead to good ideas, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, you know, it's fine. We did something on Arrow at the end of season two, um, the idea that... Uh, this Dave Ramsey's character Diggle finds out that his wife Lila is pregnant uh, in the middle of this action sequence, and um, you know someone threw it out in the room as a joke, and I was like, 
no, wait a minute, that's really good. Um, so even the joke pitches sometimes yeah. work out to you know be you know a really successful pitch. Yeah, yeah I mean, coming at it from the non-showrunner side of the room. I was the same way as a staffer, like just throwing out ideas, and if you didn't like this, here's another one, and piggybacking off what someone else is saying, and just go, go. And the thing I will always say to young writers is you need to believe in your ideas, but don't be precious with them, because if the room changes and the, it didn't work, you need to drop it and move on, because there's nothing worse than a young writer in the room who's fighting for something that does not work and you don't have time to explain them why it doesn't work but it doesn't work and they just keep going and going and you have to so that's the biggest piece of advice to me is be love your ideas but if no one else loves them then you got to move on people listening to the podcast can't see me vigorously nodding in agreement <laughs> all, all of, of us, vigor- all of us. agreement <laughs> yeah do you before we move on to talk about pitching original stuff do you guys want to add on to the room stuff yeah, I mean, you definitely need to take the temperature of the room. Like, if, if you've pitched something that is not a sale, let it let it go. That's that's something you can use in your own material. But um, I mean, I once worked with a writer, and I, I won't say who, but it was like he pitched this crazy idea that none of us were into, and then like a week and a half later came back and was like, okay, now it's time. We should do this. And it was like so... You guys weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, like we were finally ready to come to our senses and, and do this idea. And we had already moved on in so many ways in the story. And then, seriously, like another week later, it was like, okay, now, now it's the time. And it was like, you know, a dog with a bone. It was just this crazy behavior. But, you know, I did kind of admire how committed he was and how much he, he believed in that idea. Did he have other ideas in the interim? Yes. Okay. <laughs> he had a lot of Good. great ideas, too, which is why it was funny when he had, like, one terrible one that he kept sticking to. <laughs> like, guys, come on. <laughs> I had a... I had a on, on Weird Loners, we had a very funny writer named David Litt who um, every time one of his ideas got shot down, he would just say, I'll save it for my play. Yeah. <laughs> save it for my yep. play. <laughs> or it's your funeral. <laughs> it's your funeral. It just, it makes, if you can div- come up with something that softens the blow of a failed pitch, yeah, uh, that, elic- that gets a laugh, so it doesn't feel like a total failure, it, it's, it's helpful. That's, uh, that's advice. Um, but yeah, I remember before my first job, I, I didn't have the uh, luxury of, of and I use that, that word loosely because I know a writer's assistant's job is hands down the hardest thing I've ever seen. The absolutely seen. hardest thing. And I, and I, and I skipped that. I skipped that. Um, but my sister had been in uh, a writer's assistant. And so before my first job, I was so lucky that I was able to ask her what the hell is going to happen in this room to me in front of these people. <laughs> what are they going to do? And... Um, and I was able to ask her and a few other friends who had been in rooms, and the advice ranged exactly from don't say too much to don't say too little. And that was it. And that, I mean, it's unbelievable. So there really is, you, you really, it's, it's reading the room, which is luckily stand-up helped me a lot in that respect. But you're reading the room. You're, you know, it's like you're at a dinner party, and, and you don't want to, you don't want to be the dud, but you also don't want to be the asshole. So, like, you you really just have to kind of 
pick your moments. And by the time I got to Weird Loners, which is like my fourth show, I, I, I guess I got a little more confident because I got an email from my boss that was like, I admire your passion about this particular <laughs> subject, but I'm the boss. And <laughs> which I appreciate, you know, that was him saying, you know, he was, we'd had a very spirited debate for a couple of weeks and we both felt very strongly it was my episode and and we had gone back and forth and you know a big part of television writing is turning things in on time and that's where he as the the showrunner comes into play and says you're done here I win Um, and it's his show and it's his voice and it's my job to execute that so you know, and, and he handled it perfectly because he really just made it clear that I was a, my, my voice was appreciated, but the call had been made and, and it was time to move on. And I think that's the greatest thing. I, I, I can't even imagine being a showrunner. I, I'm not one of those people that like, you know, gets a job and is like, I can be the boss. I'm like, maybe, <laughs> never. Um, and, <laughs> but, uh, but also great that you have this, had a showrunner who could do that without ego. For sure. Like, and we're I, doing this for the show. And every show I've been on, I watch these showrunners, and oh my God. I mean, Michael Whitehorn was the creator of Weird Loners, and he created King of Queens, and he ran that for 12 years, and he, I mean, I don't think anyone can deny that that's a very successful show. And I've seen so many other people, like, very successful, very talented writers, but it's, running a show is just such an, ins- I can't even imagine and I've I, I, time in the room versus time on set I mean there's just so many questions that I, I can't even I, I don't even think I'm close to being able to ever tackle anything like that uh, and I would just have so many questions I would want to bring an army and have them never leave my side ever uh, all right, I want to very quickly talk about uh, pitching your own material uh, first Evan and then Corinne and then we'll take a couple questions from you guys and then we'll get out of here what do you want to know about pitching my own material? Tell me how it went. <laughs> you've, sold, um, you've sold a couple of shows. Yeah, yes. well, I've, I've sold shows off of scripts where I then okay. pitched it and left the script behind. I've sold shows off of just a pitch. Um, and What's your pitching style? My pitching style is I have to sit forward because what you'll learn in these rooms is the couches are very deep. <laughs> and I'm very short. So when I'm back, I'm like a kid with my legs swinging. Well, well don't follow my advice. Yeah, so I'm more, of, I'm more I said, like I said this. it was just works for me. Yes, yeah, so for me, when I sit back, I'm like, oh, this is weird. They can tell I'm very short. Whereas, so if I sit like this, I, I feel better. But Do you think that's like a power play on their end? Or? Maybe. It's probably on my end. Like, yeah, this, is the, this fucking idea is awesome. Um, no, but the... I mean, I'll tell you about a terrible pitching experience. Because these happen. You know, it's, most rooms are great, and they... You know, they, hopefully they want the show to be good, and we're not wasting each other's hour. But there was one time I was pitching, and it was a big movie star's pod and sitting uh, with his development person. And after they made me wait for 45 minutes next to their open office where I could hear nothing was happening, they were just making me sit there, uh, then I sat down on the couch and... She had, like, a half-melted frappuccino that she was trying to eat like this with her feet, no socks or shoes, on the coffee table like this. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, not paying attention. Phone rings. She took it. It was just, like, the worst. It was the worst thing ever. And I just remember thinking, like, at what point can I just leave? What what do you do? I was so young that I just, like, stuck it out and was like, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Where if it was now, I'd probably say, like, you know, we don't have to do this. Like, we can... 
we can just wrap this up. Obviously, it's not going to work. But I mean, that, you know, so, but that is a real thing that happened. And so, you know, that, you never know what you're walking into, I guess, is the, uh, the moral of that story. So be ready. Were, uh, were you then and do you now pitch with a script? Yeah, I usually have something. I try to memorize. I feel like it's very similar. I try to memorize it, but I, I have it because I just don't want to. It's more just to be able to, like, do the glance down sure. and make sure I'm still on track. But I try to, you know, maintain eye contact uh, if I and, can. And you're pitching uh, hour-long yes. material. So what are you pitching? What kind of content? And I would ask this of both of you guys. Yeah, what I kind mean, of content for, are you pitching it's, for an hour-long? Ultimately, it's all going to be about your characters. So... You know, you want to lead. No one wants to hear, like, here's what the pilot is for an hour. It's about who are these characters because we're going to stick with them for hopefully 100 hours. So it's more about who are they, what are their relationships, where is that going to go. And then out of that comes, and here's kind of what we're going to explore in the pilot. And you touch on these cool big moments, but ultimately you want them leaving going, oh, man, I want to do that because of all the possibilities that these characters have. So that's what I would say. That that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, The the funny thing about network drama is, you know, they still they still want uh, you to pitch something that they can get a hundred episodes out of, which is actually kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Because these days, how many network shows actually go a hundred episodes? You know, but uh, that's that's the exercise, and that's what you do. And and you know. you're certainly focusing on the characters, and it also depends upon the pilot. I'm a very big believer in not being dogmatic uh, about how you structure your pilot pitch because not every pilot is created equal. Some pilots are more high concept and you need to spend more time on that. Others are more character driven and you need to spend more time on that. Um, you know, I'm a very big believer in modify the pitch to fit what you're pitching. Um, you know, some people like think it's like a formula, and it's really, really not. Um, you've got to, you know, tailor the material to the material. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like in comedy, you really are pitching. Here's how you could do a hundred episodes. Yeah, you're you're pitching. Here's how you can do a hundred episodes, and here how how they'll all be hilarious. Yeah. And um, I mean, one thing like when when I'm in a meeting where. I'm I'm feeling nothing for them from them or I, I'm j- I'm just feeling for them. We're for them. Yeah, I, I mean I like a date. It's it, yeah, it, but like a date, this thing clicks on to me where I'm like I'm gonna make you like me, and I'm just like basically getting bigger and louder and you know more outrageous. And even if if it didn't work, like I leave thinking, well, I gave them a good show, so. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I've, I've had I've sold uh, three shows now, and I no pitch has been the same format. Like the most we, recent one I sh- I sold was actually I tried a new thing where I did the beats of the pilot and introduced characters as I went mm-hmm. and did it that way because it, it was a kind of a plotty show, and I felt like this would be the best way to explain. Sure, um, but the other two were. You know, either like here's my personal story, and then here are the characters, and here's how the show will be. Um, it's it's been all all over the map as far as format, and as far as the worst pitches I've had. I mean, I walked into one room once where the executives told me that they had just had flu shots and they were really tired, <laughs> and then said, "Okay, so what's your pitch?" <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is gonna be hilarious." And midway through, it's like, "What can I say to just end this now? Like, so I don't have to finish? Like, if I farted, like, would that do it? Like, what what's the thing that I can do where we're both like, okay, that?" I actually don't have as much pitching experience as as everyone else on this panel. 
I'd like to imagine that <laughs> I would like <laughs> kick, She'd be great kick at the it. door open like with my foot and say something like, yeah. are you ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome in advance or something awesome. Um, but well, you come in with like a boombox blast. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Actually, when I first started doing general meetings, um, when I got my first agent, I wanted to go to all my meetings dressed as a general. <laughs> and when I sat down... <laughs> And when and when the when the executive walked in, not dressed like a general, I wanted to say I was told this was a general meeting. <laughs> I can see you're not taking it seriously, so call me when you decide to, and leave. And I was like, that's hilarious. That could be the whole meeting. I don't even have to tell them, you know. And my agent was like, please don't do that. <laughs> so um, me, so I can only imagine things. pitching will go well for me. Other things you wanted to do when you first got into this business? <laughs> I had a lot of dreams. Uh, ben. Uh, no, I, I um, pitching. I, I have pitched a few times, and I, um, I think I, I can only. I, and you guys can probably make me look like an idiot right now. But um, I feel like it's all. A, I think it's about passion a little bit or a lot. Um, It's like getting a job. I've always kind of known if I have a shot of a staffing job that I've gone in for because you can kind of feel it when you're just sort of trying to impress versus like you actually have ideas for this thing you read or this pilot you saw and you're excited to talk about it. You just want to talk about it because you love TV and you love whatever you loved that you saw or read. And it's like that. You know, if you love your idea and I've done it, I've done it Three times, and I really liked one of the ideas, and I did not like the other two. And I could very much feel the difference in my ability to go in there and how many times I had to look down and how freaked out I was that if they liked it versus just enjoying talking about it. Um, and I, I think that makes all the difference in the world for getting a staffing job and for selling a, selling a show. Yeah. I think, I think it's absolutely. about how much you love it and how on board and how much they feel you love it. All right. Let's get some <laughs> questions from you guys. You have questions? Uh, what's, if you can remember, what's uh, one of the best or the best pilot scripts you've read other than your own, of course? <laughs> are there, yeah, are there good things to read that you think uh, might inspire or, or serve as good samples? I have a friend... Uh, or two friends. Um, they wrote a pilot called Rebounding. Um, it was on. It was. Pretty, it went to pilot. It did not go to series. Um, but it was a very good pilot. Um, that was. A, that was a couple of years ago. Everybody loved this pilot. It was a wonderful pilot. And there's a lot of lore as to what happened. That it did not get picked up to series. But um, I think it's a very. It's, it's it, I, on the page. It jumps out, and I really loved it. It's not comedy, but I just read the pilot for Bates Motel, and I loved it. I thought it was great. What was it about it that that you thought worked? Um, I mean, well, I should say I'm not used to reading one-hour scripts, so it might be run-of-the-mill. I don't know. No, it's an amazing pilot. Oh, my God. Like, I loved the pilot when I watched it, but just the writing of the script, I found it so evocative, and just, like, every word, I was on the edge of my seat, like, even the stage directions, and I thought, you know, this isn't just a great story and a great episode of a television show, but this is a really well-written, like, beautiful piece of writing. 
I mean, this is such a cliche answer, but the, the pilot to Breaking Bad uh, is spectacular. Um, I think the, the script may actually even be better than the That's shop the thing. Pilot. The script is, I mean, you know, uh, Corinne, you know, sort of reminded me, like, just how important the read is. And the read of that pilot is, it's, you know, transcendent. It's really, really incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember when I read the S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot before I was ever on it, it just looked like nothing else I had ever seen. The things they were saying, the things they were doing, even just the way it looked on the page seemed like it was not right. That Um, one especially... And it was so right. Yeah, that felt like the passion that you were talking about, uh, Laura. Like, that was passion on the page. It it really read that way. Yeah, for sure. And I know for Sean, he he was actually a comedy writer. And he had a deal at Fox TV Studios to do a comedy, and they couldn't find anything for him to do. And he was like, I have this idea I want to try, and that was it. Because he really, you know, he cared about it. And he also never thought it would get made. He said this before in print a lot of times, but he never thought it would get made. So he just did whatever he wanted. I think that's the biggest lesson from that script, is just do whatever you want to do to tell the best story you can tell. Because... If you have to fix stuff later, you'll fix stuff later. If someone wants to do it, you're, you're in. So yeah, That's true. Yeah. I would add to that um, Josh Friedman's Lock and Key script. That's a great script. Hour long, yeah, that was really uh, good. From a few years ago. Uh, really anything Josh has written, but that was a particularly great script. <laughs> uh, going off something Laura said about you didn't know anything when you went into a room and you asked around, you know, we are told to do all the, you know, get these lower level jobs, right, assistant, those kind of things. But, you know, how do we, how much are we expected to know about those jobs before we actually go into the room on day one versus how much are we, you know, are we all allowed to, like, flounder a little bit while we try to figure out what the hell we're supposed to be doing in the room? I was a writer's assistant. If yeah, I me could, too. Oh, Boom. okay. Um, I mean, I you just, did say my name, but... <laughs> you also said you weren't an assistant, so I was saving you. I'm, I'm just um, going to go. <laughs> No, but I was just going to say to that question is there are certain jobs where I think you can learn on the job, and it's okay. And I think if you're an office PA or something like that and you want to learn how to do it, if you, you know, fuck up the way you printed something, it's not the end of the world. When you're a writer's assistant, on depending on the show, of course, but that's really important because you're there to get down all of the things we're saying. And in the moment, it's going really fast, and you're not thinking are they getting this? You just assume they're getting this. And, you know, whether it's gold or it's terrible, you want to be able to have the option to look at it later and decide for yourself. And so you want to make sure that you are ready when you're in that writer's room to be on it and take the notes. And I was not like a stenographer. I was not getting every word spoken. But it's about, like, distilling what's being said and, and getting the best you know the pieces that they're because someone will talk for 25 minutes but it was about a point that was two sentences that's the real meat of it and then everything else is window dressing and so it was just about getting those things for me and also when the showrunners in the room making sure that what they're saying is in writing because if you're going to miss something that someone says fine but if the showrunner says it and you miss it then you're kind of fucking the writer who is counting on that when they go back to say okay what did what did Mark want there? Like, what was this, his note here? And you're like, oh, shit, I don't have it. And I've had great writer's assistants, and I've had terrible ones, where when you would walk by their computer, it was like 75 windows open, and none of them were the notes. 
And then you would, you'd be pitching and you'd hear silence and then everyone would stop and you'd hear. It was like either they're buying something on Amazon or they're trying to like remember what you just said. And the notes were unreadable and terrible. And it was just so everyone just rely when it was your episode, you wrote your own, took your own notes because you knew I, I can't trust them. So you can survive if you don't know what you're doing, but you can only thrive and move up if you if you do. There's no like magic to it. It's you know it's, it's a level of professionalism. Um, you know I think some writers assistants you know come in with you know a professional attitude and like they're going to pay attention and they're going to learn and they're going to take the notes down. And there's others who are buying stuff on Amazon and you know uh, doing God only knows what else uh, with their laptop. Uh, I mean, there's no worse feeling than when a room has just had, like, a great run and you realize that the keyboard was not going. And it's like all those ideas are just... I mean, I maybe because I had been an assistant before, but I often just kind of took notes, like, for a long time until I felt like, oh, this is a writer's assistant that we can totally trust. And I've worked with ones who were amazing, like, circuitous conversations that you would think, how could anyone organize this? And then you'd get these notes back where things were, like, bulleted and it just organized in a way that it was, like, a thing of beauty. But um, in comedy rooms, the writer's assistant job is especially hard because you're also supposed to be pitching and pitch pitching jokes. I mean, it depends on the boss, but a lot of times the people that they hire, the showrunners hire to be in the room, they, they want to hear jokes from, but you're only supposed to pitch, like, your goal because, really, the floor is supposed to be dominated by writers and I've always thought that was like actually the hardest part about being a comedy writer's assistant because how many times have I just pitched turds and been like oh thank god there wasn't a spotlight on this joke like it's just part of the conversation um but yeah it really it depends on the boss and I would also say like usually you're not going to get the script coordinator job, like you'll get the this, this entry writer's assistant job and watch the script coordinator, learn from the person who is above you who had that position and can show you how to do it. Yeah, and, and ask for help yes. when you need it. You know, it's certainly not, you know, the showrunner who's got a billion things on their plate. But yeah, don't ask them. No, don't. don't. <laughs> Try not Please to make don't eye contact. Ask <laughs> no, no eye contact. Look how stressed he is. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I have, I've certainly had writers' assistants call me at home and be like, I'm sorry, do you remember this thing? You were talking about a thing and you said something and we try to piece it together and I totally get it. I could never, I, I can't even imagine doing all the, the writing that they do. So, you know, I, I think if, if you, if you ask for help in, in a in a nice way, people are, are going to be anxious to help you. Because remember, everyone, you know, the staff writer's nervous about doing well at their job. The story editor's nervous about the fact that they've just moved up to story editor and what's expected from them at that level. Everyone is has that sort of feeling of, like, I want to do well, if, if you're professional. Or a narcissist, do well at you're only thinking about yourself. So. <laughs> Which one? I said, or if you're a narcissist and you're only thinking exactly, about yourself. Exactly, or that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, be, it's a team effort. It's room-dependent, this answer, but don't be afraid if you know you're in a friendly room. If you miss something that you know is really mm-hmm. important, say, I just want to make sure I got that, and like take them through the run again. It's better do sure. that than if not do that. It's better to yeah. do that than guess and be wrong. That would also just impress me. Like, oh, they care. Yes. They care. Yes. Um, I think studio and network um, executives can get a bad rap. I was curious to know, um, what was your favorite or best note you ever got from a studio or network executive? And what was the worst one? 
Most memorable. Most memorable. <laughs> no, what, what were some good notes that you got? This, that was former writers panel guest, Caitlin Foyto. Thank you, Caitlin. You know, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I did the variety showrunner questionnaire, and that was one of the questions, and it was like, best note, worst note. I'm like, there is no way to answer this. It <laughs> doesn't get me into some kind of trouble. I'll be totally honest. Like, I don't even think it's about the quality of the notes. It's about the measure of discussion that you can have about them. You know, I think the, the best executives are the ones who are willing to engage you in a conversation uh, about the note. They don't get defensive if you have questions about the note. Even if it's pushing back or disagreeing with the note, you know, if, if I'm being civil, I expect the executive to be civil. Um, and I expect them not to be too defensive. It's like their job is to give notes, but it's also to, you know, be able to explain and articulate and discuss and even, if necessary, debate the note. Um, so in, in many ways, I, I think, truth be told, there's good notes and there's bad notes, absolutely. But more importantly, there are good executives and bad executives. And that's far more important to me um, because you can ignore a bad note. It's very difficult to ignore a bad executive. I think it's, it's similar to what you guys were talking about earlier in working with actors, that you're trying to – it's the start of a conversation, ideally. Right? Yeah, and, and just, like, um, you know, just like I said with the actors, what's the note behind the note? I, I often have, you know, take that approach with executives, you know, um, and and totally agree with what Laura had said about, um, you know, take the note, don't take the solution. Mm-hmm. For God's sake, don't take the solution. Can, yeah. can I ask you what kind of notes you guys got on Arrow in like the first season? I'll give you my favorite one. I always use this one as an example. So um, their episode uh, one hundred eight was uh, this Huntress episode. This character uh, was gonna wound Oliver's then girlfriend and the girlfriend would then go off the show. She was a cop and she had to go off and get uh, you know, get physical uh, physical therapy for these injuries and um, I was doing my pass on the script and originally the character in the comics and in the show had this crossbow and um, she was going to shoot in the draft I was rewriting she had shot the cop girlfriend with the crossbow and I was like God, I was like, you know, she's been shooting everyone with crossbows. I'm tired of the frigging crossbow. You know what and the name of the show is, right? It is Arrow, I know. But I was just tired. It wasn't was crossbow. So I had her pick up a cop shotgun and, and shoot the person point black. I'm like, I'm going to get a note on this. And, and sure enough, I did, but not the note I expected. The note I got was, I don't understand. Like, um, you know, she, McKenna's shot. Like, why does she have to, like, go for physical therapy? Why can't she be back in a couple of weeks? And I'm like... I, I don't even know how to respond to that. Like, I'll be honest. I I said, I'll be honest. When I did this adjustment, I was fully expecting us to have a conversation about how she could survive a point-blank shot with a shotgun. I don't know how to respond to this. Um, And then it sort of, it it really gets to actually something that I find that's more, becoming more and more of a thing with studio and network executives is sometimes the notes are based upon a version of reality that you do not share. Um, and you're actually debating, like, you know, the nature, just the nature of things. I'm using an extreme example, but the truth is, like, sometimes it's a lot more subtle. It's like, how would this person react to, um, how would this person react to uh, an emotional situation? You know, well, I would absolutely, if I would, I would totally take this person's side. Well, no, I would take this person's side. And, you know, the best executives are the ones who do recognize that there are multiple different versions of, you know, emotional reality, um, and you're not getting logic notes when it comes to emotion. 
Yeah. Did you want to add something, uh, Corinne, about notes in general? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with everything uh, you said and about not taking the solution. Um, I mean, the other thing, I've always found it really helpful when um, in comedy scripts, sometimes, you know, just to get to the joke you love or to get to the funny, you can sacrifice some character logic or integrity. And um, I think uh, great executives will point that out in a way that helps you find the right joke. Like, okay, maybe this wasn't our little nugget that we were trying to get to, but maybe that nugget doesn't belong here because that would sell out the character. Um, All right, we are just about out of time, but I want to end as we always do, starting here with Evan and going down the line. Tell us what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room, with your uh, spouse, with your friends? Uh, Love Transparent, love Orange is the New Black, love The Good Wife. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, I haven't started to watch it yet, but Show Me a Hero. I'm very excited to watch that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I try to watch everything, you know, and you never want to be pitching something that was just on TV last night, so that's... Something really important, I think, when you're working on a show is to always kind of be aware of what's happening around you so you're not doing the exact same thing someone just did. And is, I will add this for all of you guys. Is there anything, because this will be released just as the new fall season is starting and most of us have had to read everything, if not all the comedies, all the dramas, or both. Uh, is there anything you are looking forward to particularly? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see Code Black on CBS. I think that's going to be really good. Um, and Rosewood, I think everyone should watch. <laughs> I think we can all agree. Um, it's very, it's it's just really fun, and our cast is awesome and super likable. And it's, I don't think the ads kind of do the show justice, especially what we're doing now. You know, obviously the pilot is always kind of feels a little different than everything that follows it, and we added in new characters in episode two and all these things, and so. I'm just excited for everyone to see it. Cool. Uh, Mark, what are you watching now, and what are you looking forward to? Um, well, you, ha- you have to understand, I, I, um, I've got two kids and two shows, and I'm pretty <laughs> much tired all the time. So what I do is I watch, like, 15 minutes of a show at a time. Um, like, the ideal so viewing So it happens. takes me basically a week to watch one episode of anything. Um, right now, I'm, I'm currently obsessed with Mr. Robot. I think it is Oh, yeah, that's really also awesome. Terrific. Um, you know, really, really enjoying it. It's, it's so the acting, the directing, the camera work, um, the, the writing. Um, so what act are you in right now? What okay. act? Of the um, show. Oh, you watch 15 um, minutes of oh, time. Oh, that's funny. So. Oh, um, I, I think I'm up to, I just, I just watched the episode uh, where. Um, watch it. Yeah, I'm trying to, I know, I'm trying to be careful here. Um, but he's still you know, behind. I, I can't trust that it's here. I, yeah, I, think, I think it's episode five. Um, that's, that's the most thing I can say without spoiling it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, I'm a huge X-Files fan, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the new X-Files. Um, and I'm looking forward, I haven't read all the pilots that are out there. I haven't really seen any. Um, but I'm looking forward to Minority Report. Um, just a big fan of that movie, and I think that could be a really great show um, if they can pull it off. Cool. Good answers. Corinne? Um, I'm going to have a weird answer. Uh, <laughs> we're actually, my husband and I are rewatching Lost right now. Like Because really? it's summer, things are a little slow. <laughs> and, um, and, I mean, it's... You don't have kids. 
No, not yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could I could tell by virtue of the fact you had time to rewatch something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're also enjoying Mr. Robot and Orange is the New Black was great this season. How deep into Lost rewatch are you? We're mid season two or no, early season two. How's We're it holding se- up? It's holding up great. It's so good. But I, as far as shows I'm looking forward to, um, definitely Rosewood, definitely Arrow, definitely Hot and Bother. <laughs> uh, School of Rock, I hear that's going to be great. Uh, let me ask you this. We can cut this out. Is it going to be great? School of Rock? Yeah. It actually, it is going to be great. Um, I hear I said, good it's things actually, about it. I, no, no it's, but it's a kid's show. It's a kid's show, but... We're all, you know... I mean, here's the thing, like... It's not exactly the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that was something like all of us writers had to reorient mm-hmm. ourselves about because it, it sold to Nickelodeon. It didn't sell, sell to ABC. Yeah. But, um, but I think, um, especially for a kid's show, I think it's really funny and sharp. And um, the, the actor, uh, Tony Cavallaro, who plays the mm-hmm. Jack Black role, is amazing. He's a groundling. And, um, yeah, everyone should watch it forever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll leave that in. <laughs> Laura. Um, I am also watching a, a ton of stuff. Um, I've been sick, which has been great. Um, but uh, I watch The West Wing kind of every day of my life, which I know is not... No, it's what, great. I, no, no, I Thank no you, because so much judgment in the writers' rooms, always. What? Really? Why? How? Because I think they jump from there to Studio 60 to, like, no, no, no. Sorkin is just no, not the same no, thing, but, like, no, I, no, no, I no, 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 now no. and now and forever <laughs> what, with the What West has Wing. been your most recent uh, episodes of West Wing that you've watched? Um... I'm, I'm making my way through season two again. Nice. Um... And I really do. I mean, like, I try to. It's been oh, no, about you ten watch years. Past season four. I do. I, I go oh, so you do right. Th- I go right through Wellesley, and I go th- okay. straight. Th- yes, I guess. <laughs> and then I circle back around. Um, and I love every minute of it. But I'm actually also in the middle of season three of. Um, oh my gosh, Breaking Bad. I almost forgot the name, and then I go ahead, have to go to jail, um, which has been great because in the writer, like people can't believe I, I didn't see it. I, I, I took so much heat for not watching it with everybody else, and now I actually feel like I can watch it like and breathe freely. Um, it, it is as amazing as everyone said it was. It, I find it very heavy though. Like it, I mean, oh, it, is, it, 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 it affects my day. Yeah. Like it's not something. I, it's not Sex in the City where you know it's like. <laughs> See that affects my day. That I mean, like. like but it, it, you carry it with you, like, it, and and I'm not sure. You know, I have a very complicated relationship with Mr. Robot right now, um, and Christian yeah. Slater by extension. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, black. I, I really will watch just about anything. I rely on my sister because she has much better taste than I do. Generally speaking, everyone agrees. Um, she's a drama writer, and she'll be on the Damon Lindelof. Yes, I believe one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I rely on her. Uh, her. Opinion usually because if she's if she turned me on to uh, Frank uh, Grace and Frankie Frankie yeah, and Grace which one, which Grace one is and Frankie, it? Yeah. Um, and it's great it's a delight if you haven't seen it run don't walk it's a delight <laughs> it's Here Jane Fonda Lily Tomlin uh, oh, Emmys Lily for Tomlin's everyone for I mean it's just great so and the president uh, TV's the best the president's in it <laughs> the pre- <laughs> and all of them have been in like all of the Sorkin shows yeah. Like whether oh, like West Wing, Newsroom, like there's a oh my gosh, gosh we could in the parking lot after guys. I just Anyone remembered one more show I'm really enjoying right now, which is Masters of Sex on Showtime. Oh, right. I think it's having so a really good. great season. Yes. Have you read Sorkin's? Uh, like he did two op-ed pieces where Bartlett talks to Obama. Oh God! If you <gasps> if you haven't, it's like it's it's heaven. Where it's are heaven. they? Uh, I'll hook you up. 
Thank I mean, you. you can Google it probably, but I will hook you up. I, want, I once had, I, I, got, I got an email from him for a work thing, and I had to write Aaron Sorkin back, and I put more work into that email than I put into any spec I've ever written, ever. And it, Why four did lines. Aaron Sorkin email you? It was, it, it was a question, actually, about a script. I'll tell you later. Okay, I'm very interested in this. Guys, we're going to go finish this in the green room, but thank you all for being here. Please give a round of applause to all of our panelists. Evan Blyweiss. Mark Guggenheim, Corinne Marshall, Laura Valdivia. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 